All right, open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. And the title tonight is God Protects His Word. God Protects His Word. At this time, in Jeremiah chapter 36, Jeremiah had been prophesying for 23 years. From the 13th year of King Josiah to the 4th year of King Jehoiakim. And Jeremiah is now commanded to gather uh, these prophecies and put them into a book so that they can be read to the people. Now it took a year or so to write the book, according to verse 1 and verse 9. And the reading of the book made a great impression on some of the officials. But the king, he blatantly and defiantly burned the book. So Jeremiah then wrote it all over again. Chapter 36 is is a very important chapter. And it's the only passage in the Old Testament that that shows just one way that a prophet's spoken message or messages reached the written form. It also shows the close relationship between Jeremiah and Baruch. Baruch, whose name means blessed, was a friend. And he served Jeremiah as a scribe. And Baruch helped Jeremiah buy a field from Jeremiah's cousin Hanamiel and used the purchase as a symbol of hope back in Jeremiah 32.12. It seems like Baruch had a close personal association with Jeremiah and had a significant influence in Jeremiah's ministry. He wrote down what Jeremiah preached and he read it to the king's counselors who took it to the king. But Jehoiakim burned it. But Jeremiah preached it again here in this chapter. Jeremiah was even accused of being a mere instrument of Baruch's hostility. Jeremiah counseled Baruch to place his confidence totally in the Lord and not to seek great things for himself. A wide range of later writings was attributed to Baruch according to Jewish tradition. Now here we get some insight about the role and influence of scribes and officials in government. And it also shows that not all of the leaders in Judah were against Jeremiah. And doctrinally, the chapter develops the two subjects. One, God's word. Second, Judah's response to God's word. The most important thing about chapter 36 is that it shows that Judah's chance to repent had passed. Up until the confrontation between Jehoiakim and the word of God, Judah could have repented. But now, with Jehoiakim, who cut up the scroll of Jeremiah in pieces, Judah's outcome would be sure. It would be destroyed. And the careful listing of names and the descriptions of events subject uh, suggest that the chapter was written by an eyewitness or somebody who had talked with an eyewitness. And so chapter 36 shows us Jehoiakim's attitude toward the word of God and the messages that God sent to him through his prophet Jeremiah. So let's begin in chapter 36 with verses 1 through 3. And it says, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and against Judah 
and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah even to this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So first of all here, Jeremiah receives the command from God to write the messages on a scroll. The fourth year of Jehoiakim was 605 B.C., the year of the battle at Carchemish, when Pharaoh Necho defeated King Josiah and made Judah a puppet nation to Egypt. King Jehoiakim had gotten his throne only because Egypt had overthrown his brother Jehoahaz. Jeremiah was in his 23rd year of ministry, and now God commanded him to write his messages in a scroll so that they would become permanent and everybody could read them. And his message is dealt with, as verse 2 says, Israel, Judah, and all the nations. And when he wrote the second scroll, the Lord had him add some other material, as we'll see when we get to the end of the chapter. Chapters 1 through 45 focus mostly on Israel and Judah, while chapters 46 through 51 deal with the other nations in the Near East. Now, scrolls were made of papyrus or papyrus or leather sheets that were sewn together with the writing placed in columns. It makes sense, though, that Jeremiah's scroll here was probably written on papyrus since it would have been easier to burn, as it mentions in verse 23, than leather. So a typical scroll was about 30 inches by 10 inches, 30 inches long by 10 inches wide. It was wrapped around wooden rollers, and it would be rolled from one side to the other as it was being read. So again, there would be a handle here, a handle here, and in the middle was the scroll. And you, as you'd read, you'd turn the handle, and the scroll would go, and if you wanted to go back, you'd just turn it the other way. But that would be the way you would uh, read the scroll. So a written message might have had more of an impact on an audience than one spoken at the spur of the moment. And we don't know if Jeremiah gave the messages from memory or if he had, uh, had kept some written notes. But the Lord hoped that when the people remind, were reminded of every adversity, as it's mentioned in verse 3, that is, every disaster that they encountered, that he was going to bring on them, all right, if they, you know, he, he, he was going to bring on them that, that they turn uh, from their wicked ways and be forgiven. So again, he's hoping that when they see that, the, the, again, the uh, judgment, the adversity he's going to bring upon them, they're looking at it and then go, man, you know, we need to change our wicked ways. We need to turn back to the Lord. So verses 4 through 7 now covers Jeremiah's command to Baruch to write the scroll. Look at verses 4 through 6. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote, a scroll, wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting, and you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. So Jeremiah got Barak to write the messages as he dictated them to Baruch the scribe. Jeremiah requested for Baruch to go to the temple on a fast day. 
and then read the scroll to the people because he says, I am confined. That is, he was a prisoner there, and he couldn't get to the temple. And since Jeremiah was allowed to go to the temple, or wasn't allowed to go to the, uh, to the temple, he sent Baruch in his place. The fast day, or day of fasting, would be a time when large crowds would gather together in the temple. And th- this may have been a call, okay, to, to pray because of the Babylonian army being there. So this would have called for a time of prayer and fasting. Verse 7. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people. The Lord was hesitant to deliver his people to judgment. He didn't want to. And he was hoping that when the scroll was written and then read to the people, that it would convict them. So that they'd turn away from their wickedness before the Lord's wrath and judgment came upon them. Now, you know, people may believe that God enjoys bringing his wrath upon us and God enjoys the death of the wicked, but he doesn't. In Ezekiel 33.11, you know, God, God said to Ezekiel, Say to them, say to the people, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? You see, the death of the wicked is due to their own choices and will. God says, why should you die? The man who takes poison takes his own life. The sinner then invites the judgment of God upon them and death upon himself. And and he wills in that way his own death when he chooses to do the wrong things. And he does it maybe even without knowing. Now, how is that? How would that be? By deliberately choosing the path that will certainly deliver death and judgment. Now, this is a matter of a man's own choosing. Even though God not only doesn't want them to die... He sincerely wants them to be saved. He says he desires that no man should perish. But this is the awful freedom of man's will. It's the danger of a free will. God allows us to choose whatever we want to do. But in making that choice, we got to remember there are consequences to the choices that we make. You may make the choice. You may choose the choice, but you can't choose the consequences. Now, Just as it's always been, God does not want the wicked to die. All punishment is is meant to lead to repentance. it's, it's, It's meant to be remedial or corrective, not punitive. That is vengeful. And for those who repent, there's the hope of being restored. And there's the hope of life. But here's the thing. No amount of our righteousness in the past is worth anything against the sins of the present. In other words, if we, know, if, we, if we go into sin and we get into sin, we can't look at the past and, well, you know, I did all of these righteous things and that's going to cover me. It doesn't work that way. Listen to what Ezekiel 33, verses 12 through 13 says. And again, God said to the Son of Man, which is another you know, name for Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel, or Son of Man, Give your people this message. 
The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they turn to sin. When I tell righteous people that they will live, but then they sin, expecting their past righteousness to save them, then none of their righteous acts will be remembered, and I will destroy them for their sins. I'm reading that from the New Living Translation just for ease of understanding. So it doesn't matter what our past righteousnesses are. We're army right now. God says, I will destroy them for their sins. You know, their, their acts of righteousness, I'm not going to remember them. But then also, no wicked behavior of the past keeps us shut out of the repentance of God and the forgiveness and pardon of God. In Luke 12, 39-43, it says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice, a last-minute repentance. Though his past life was wickedness and evil and, and ungodly and unbelief, at that moment when he said, Lord, remember me, Jesus said, you'll be with me today in paradise. So all of our righteousness in the past Though we turn to sin, will not save us. But all of our wickedness from the past will not keep us out of the kingdom of God if we repent. Now, what a gracious God we have. Whatever state a man is in at any given moment, when that judgment time comes, that's how he'll be dealt with. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 44, that's why you must also be ready. Therefore, be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we need to ask ourselves, you know, at, at the moment we're living, would I, want, would I want Jesus to come right now? If he walked through that door right now, would we praise him and be excited and run to him and worship him? Or would we look for the nearest exit? I, I don't, I, man, I don't want to face him right now because he's coming at an hour we, we don't expect and we need to be ready. And then verses 8 through 10 now covers the public reading of the scroll in the temple. Look at verses 8 and 9. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him. Notice the obedience. Reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. And now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. So Baruch carefully did what Jeremiah told him to do. He read the scroll to the people at the temple in the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim's reign. There's no explanation given for the lapse of a year from the writing of the scroll to the time it was read. Now, some time was required. Obviously, it would take some time to require all of those messages that, Je that Jeremiah had from God to write them down in the scroll. And since, you know, there, there were no fast days mentioned, 
he waited for a, 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 a fast day that was called, that was set up. The occasion was provided in December 604 B.C. when the Babylonian army captured and crushed Ashkelon uh, in the Philistine Valley. Fear had to have grabbed or gripped the people of Judah because they had been united with Egypt since Josiah's death. So thinking about that, taking into consideration the events of 605 B.C., Jehoiakim realized that it was in his best interest, man, to change his loyalty to the Babylonians. Look at verse 10. Then Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house in the hearing of all the people. Again, verse 10 is pretty self-explanatory. Then verses 11 through 19 cover the reading of the scroll to the officials. Let's begin with verses 11 through 12. When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the book, he then went down to the king's house into the scribe's chamber, and there all the princes were sitting, or all the leaders were sitting. Elishema, the scribe, Deleah, the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, the son of Achbor, Gemara, the son of Shaphan, and Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. So when Micaiah, Gemariah's son, heard the messages, he immediately went to the secretary's room that was in the royal palace where all of the officials were gathered. That room was a meeting place for the king's counselors, who today would be called cabinet officials. And five, uh, five officials are named here in verses 11 through 12. Look at verses 13 through 15. <clears throat> then Micaiah declared to them all the words that, had, that, that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll, and in his hand he came to them. And they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. So when Micaiah described what was in the scroll to the officials, to the leaders, they sent to Jehudi, to Baruch, to ask him to bring the scroll, scroll and to read it to them, which he did. It was the second time that the scroll was read on that day, verses 16 and 17. And now it happened, when they had heard all the words, that they looked in fear from one to another, and they said to Baruch, We will surely tell the king all of these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how did you write all these words at his instruction? So here we see the reaction of the officials. After they heard Baruch read the scroll, and the reaction was one of fear. And the word fear here means make to shake. So they were literally trembling when they heard the word of God. People don't tremble at the word of God today. You know, there's no respect, there's no reverence, there's just no emotion when it comes to the word of God today. So they literally were trembling in front of each other. Their response seems unexpected because 
it couldn't have been the first time in 23 years that they'd heard Jeremiah's warnings. But it seems like the effect of Jeremiah's messages touched them for the first time. And they agreed that they had to tell the king what it said. Not because they were being tattletales who wanted to get Jeremiah into more trouble, but because they felt that they had an important duty to bring the message to the king's attention. Now, whether the words were from Jeremiah or were made up by the scribe, their question suggests that many recognize Jeremiah's divine gift and his authority, that he was a man of God and that he was speaking with authority. A scribe's words would not impress them as much as a prophet's words would. Verse 18. So Baruch answered them. He proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. So Baruch's answer was confirmation that Jeremiah dictated to Baruch all of these words. And Baruch's job as a scribe was to write the message on the scroll in ink. So considering the situation that they were in, hey, it took a lot of courage for Baruch to admit that he had taken part in writing this scroll and producing this scroll. Verse 19. Then the princes, or leaders, said to Baruch, Go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So, they were worried, these princes, they were worried about uh, uh, Jeremiah and Baruch's safety, okay, in knowing how the king would respond to the word of God. The officials urged both of them, hey, you guys, go and hide. And their concern wasn't for no reason. They probably remembered how the king went after Uriah and had executed him in Jeremiah 26, 22, and 23. So the consideration of the officials and their concern for the safety of Jeremiah and Baruch showed their compassion for Jeremiah and the messages that he preached. Now in verses 20 through 26, these verses cover the reading of the scroll to to the king. So let's look at verses 20 through 26 now. And they went to the king into the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king, nor any of his servants who heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan, Deleah, and Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, But notice, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, Sareah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch and the scribe Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. I like that part. The Lord hid them. So the, the officials knew that the king, the officials knew the king well enough to know 
that he was going to react violently to the word of God. And we see that through the Gospels. We see that when, the, when Jesus preached, some went away angrily and some submitted to the word of God. Those are usually the two reactions that you get anger to the word of God or you, know, you, you submit to the word of God. So leaders knew that the king was going to uh, react violently. So in order to protect the scroll, what they did, they put it in the room of Elishama, the secretary, you know, in, or, in order to keep it safe. And then they went to the king and they reported the scroll's existence and they told the king what the scroll said. And so the king sends for Jehudi to bring the scroll, a scroll from Elishama's room. He brought it. He read it to the king and his officials who were standing beside him. Verse 22 says it was the ninth month, which was December. And the king was in his winter apartment. It was a separate building. And there was a fire, it says, burning in a pot in the middle of the room, obviously, to keep him warm. And then in verses 23 and 24, it says, you know, as Jehudi was reading the scroll, after reading about the third or fourth column, the king stops. He cuts the scroll up in pieces and he throws it into the fire. King Jehoiakim may have thought that if he cut them up himself, and showing his disapproval for, God, for Jeremiah's message, which is really showing the disapproval of God's word, that it would show that he didn't take them seriously. And by doing this, he might have thought that he was destroying the power of God's words, as well as the words themselves. But little did he know, as Isaiah said, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And people think the same way. That if they can destroy the Bible, get rid of the Bible, tear it up, pretend like it doesn't exist, that no problem. Hey, they've been trying to do that since day one. And guess what we have in our laps tonight? The precious Word of God. Because God protects His Word. Because it's His Word. Isaiah says in 55, 11, so sh- God says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven will pass away, the earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. It is here for good until we're in glory and we're with the living word. Neither the king nor his servants showed any fear or conviction for the word of God. This also shows that, 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 that their lack of concern, their, their coldness that they had by, by not tearing their clothes, uh, which is a sign of disgust and mourning and grief. Instead of you know, tearing their clothes and mourning and, and sitting in sackcloth, which is a sign of grieving, grieving because they have not followed the word of God, they showed no emotion. It was a lack of concern for the God, for God's word. It's a, there was a coldness. On the other hand, Josiah's response to the reading of the law earlier was obviously different from that of Jehoiakim. When the book of the law, remember, it was found in the, in the temple and it was read to him. King Josiah tore his robes when he heard the word of God. Jehoiakim tore the scroll when he heard the word of God. What a, an obvious difference in response to God's word by the two kings. And you know what? 
there are less dramatic ways of rejecting God's words today. We can, we can reject God's word by just ignoring it. We can reject God's word by ridiculing it. We can reject God's word by interpreting it in a way that would deny its authority. Even as rejection of the word led to judgment on Jehoiakim and his people at that time, judgment comes just the same on those who today reject God's word. It's going to come. Verses 25 through 26. Nevertheless, El Nathan, Deliah, and Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the, son, uh, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. The Lord hid them. So again, what, what we see here is that, that, that God protected his messengers. He protected his messengers. Jehoiakim just refused to listen to the request of Elnathan, Deliah, and Gamariah. He refused not to burn the scroll. He only hardened his resistance to, uh, resistance to the warnings. And then he orders Jeremiel, the, the, king's, son, uh, the, the king's son in Sariah, Azrael's son in Shelemiah, Abdel's son to arrest Baruch and, and Jeremiah, the earlier concern for the safety of the two men was justified. Back in verse 19 when he said, hey, you know, watch out for, 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 for the, the leaders. So the warning was justified, and here we see it, why it was justified. Jehoiakim wasn't satisfied with just destroying the scroll. Notice, he wanted to destroy those who were responsible for it, and we see that today. They wanted to get rid of the messengers of God's word today. They didn't want to destroy just the message. They also wanted to destroy the messenger, but the Lord hid them. And this is so neat to know when you are a child of God and you are in the service of God, God's servants are basically immortal until their work on earth is done. Until your work is done, God is going to take care of you. They can be foolish, though. God's messengers can be foolish and hasten the day over the death or whoever it might be, but they can't go, on, go beyond their appointed time. Remember, it's an appointed time. It's an ordained time for man to die. You see, that's in God's hands. Now, we're not told how long they stayed in hiding, but it seems like the king's anger subsided, and then it became safe for Jeremiah to move around freely again. And then in verses 27 through 32, uh, this, these verses cover the rewriting of the destroyed, uh, destroyed scroll. Look at verses 27 through 28 to begin with. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Take yet another, another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. So any king, whether then or today, any kind of leader who thinks that they can silence God with a knife or with fire or with whatever they might try to destroy the word of God, they, they, they're thinking very highly of themselves. They're, they're very confident of themselves. And they have a very low opinion of God. After the king burned the scroll, the Lord tells Jeremiah, hey, get another scroll. 
write on it all the words that were on the first scroll. And, and then he also added more material to the second scroll, including a special judgment on King Jehoiakim. Now, there's a similarity here with the rewriting of the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets that, that, that Moses smashed the first time, remember? The same God who gives the word has the power to protect and preserve his word. The king tried to destroy the word, but what happened? The word destroyed him. Look at verses 29 through 31. And you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from, uh, from here? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. Verse 31, I will punish him, his family and his servants for iniquity, therefore their iniquity, and I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them, but they did not heed. Even with all of this announcing of the doom that would come upon them for not turning to God, they didn't heed the word. Jeremiah in verses 29 through 31 was to pass on a message to the king that he would have no heir to succeed him as a ruler. This was extra uh, um, a message that he added to the second scroll. Jehoiakim had no successor since Zedekiah, his uncle, to succeed, uh, to succeed him. Uh, so succession through Je uh, Jehoiakim's children, it ended just like Jeremiah prophesied that it would. God's punishment would include Jehoiakim's children, his servants, those living in Jerusalem, and the people of Judah. Every word of judgment previously announced by Jeremiah would fall on them because they refused to listen to Jeremiah. And verse 31 here serves as a reminder that leaders are responsible. They're held responsible for what they do as well as what they don't do. But those who follow wicked leaders without protesting their immoral leadership are also held accountable. When leaders commit wicked or immoral acts and their people don't say anything, they're actually approving of their leader's behavior. So they should expect to reap the consequences because they didn't say anything. Let's close now with verse 32. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and he gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words. So the chapter finishes with a description of the rewriting of the scroll. Jeremiah took another scroll. He dictated the messages to Baruch as he wrote them on that second scroll. It wasn't just a copy of the first scroll because verse 32 says here that he added many similar words. So the verse gives valuable insight on how the scriptures reached or got to be in a written form. And there's reason to think that the second and expanded version of the scroll, which included messages, are now found in chapters 1 through 25. Chapter 36 starts and ends with a command to record God's message on a scroll, here in verses 2, 28, and 32. 
The chapter serves, it, 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 it teaches us an important reminder, it gives us an important reminder that the Word of God stands forever. It stands forever. As Isaiah said, again, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. People have tried to deny God's Word. They've tried to ban God's Word. They've tried to shorten God's word. They've tried to change God's word, burn God's word, even eliminate it down through the centuries, and they're still trying to do that today. People are still trying to do away with God's word, but it can't be destroyed. And the passage here also serves as a reminder that many have risked, even lost their lives in order to preserve the word of God or to make it more accessible. Revelation chapter 2, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 19. It says, And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Now that warning pertains to the book of Revelation, but it really pertains to the whole word of God. We are not to take away or to add of ourselves anything to the word of God. It's God's word. He said it. That settles it. We believe it by faith. Father, we thank you so much for this chapter, Lord. And again, uh, your word, it is written. It is your word, God. And so, Father, we thank you. Father, uh, just, just help us to just soak it, take it into our hearts, Lord. Let us absorb it, every word, Father, from, from Genesis to Revelation. And Father, help us to... to Believe and trust by faith those things that we don't understand, Father. And help us not to get hung up on the things that we don't understand. But help us to look and to believe and to just enjoy the things that we do understand. Because what we need to understand is written for us and, and, and is not a problem, God, to understand. Let us focus on what we know and what we don't know, God. For one day you will, you will minister to us and you will reveal to us those hidden things, God. But right now, we probably don't understand them and couldn't understand them, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your tender mercies. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.